Hey, all you faithful podcast listeners, welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 248, and today it's not brought to you by Fresca, but rather it's brought to you by Beef Jerky and black coffee, which is super weird, I know. In fact, hopefully for those watching, I don't have anything in my teeth right now, but I sat down to do the podcast. I just come from the gym, and I'm like, okay, I need some protein. I'll just I'll just get a cup full of beef jerky, and I also want some black coffee, so I'll get some black coffee. So that's my union today, beef jerky and black coffee, and black coffee that just scolds your throat as it goes down, like that kind of black coffee, but it's not the like the most manly black coffee in the world because it's not like I was cooking it out on an open fire with the ground still boiling inside the pot with the water. No, I've got an espresso. I've got the most European style of black coffee you can find, but it is good and delicious nonetheless. And so I am amped up on endorphins from the gym, black coffee, and then with a beef jerky rush. That's kind of what we're doing today. And so right now you're like, that dude's got a weird palate. I agree. I've got a weird palate, but we're not here to talk about beef jerky, black coffee, my palate, going to the gym or endorphins. So all that stuff is super cool. No, we are here to talk about how we uh, spiritually grow, develop and become effective everyday missionaries. And there are active ways and there are passive ways in which we fulfill that task. And so the active task of being an everyday missionary is how we engage our culture, our world, our neighbors, how we uh, bring Jesus to our problems or to our joys or whatever else as we relate to those who may be disbelieving, may have been deconverted, may have been, you know, kind of uh, left the church, driven out of the church, frustrated at the church, mad at the church, bitter at the church, whatever it is, and we're trying to give a different vision, right? Our job is to disrupt stereotypes, to share and show and embody Jesus in real incarnate ways and all the practical things of life, and then from that we hope to then be able to... Um, bring this good news of Jesus, this good news of Jesus is reclaiming all things and making all things new. We want to bring that to all of the things that he plans to make things new. Part of that being, uh, you know, we're bringing it to people that need to know about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and then what he brings into our life as he makes our life better in him because he came to give abundant life. This is one of the things I love about the gospel of John. For example, when I think about our mission statement as a church, which is helping people believe believe that life is better with Jesus, that whole mission statement exists because in the gospel of John, that notion, that concept, that push of life, not just after life, but in this life benefit is heavy dosage in John's gospel. It's also heavy dosage in the other gospels as well, uh, but John really kind of doubles down on that stuff and he's like, hey man, it's all about Jesus giving us a quality of life in this life that isn't a quality of life that this life um, says, oh, this is real quality. No, it's a deeper, more thoughtful, more grounded quality of life that is found in him. This is what we want to grow in. This is what we want to live out. This is what we want to experience. And then from that, that becomes a missional model and sort of like a hook in the water where other people see something different, want something different, and then they can inquire of us or we can share with them. And that's what an everyday missionary does. <gasps> Matt, take a breath. All right. So that's kind of the heart behind this whole endeavor that we engage in mostly every week here on the podcast. 
So there are active things. But then there are passive things. And what I mean by passive is not that these are less important. What I mean is in the process of trying to be an externally minded missionary, there are things that we want to do internally behind the scenes. So it's passive to the enterprise of mission in some ways, but it's active to how we grow as an effective missionary. In fact, it's among some of the most active ways that we can do it, passive to the endeavor, active to our personal life. And that is this whole idea of the Bible, right? So why bother with the Bible is the topic of the day. Why ingest the scriptures? And then from that, you know, uh, hopefully they're, they're doing a job in us that kind of, you know, again, lets us be more effective everyday missionaries because we're more closely tethered to Christ and what Christ calls us to do. But in that, it's kind of like, well, why bother with the Bible? And, and I know that sounds almost sacrilegious right now. Like, whoa, what are you talking about, Pastor Matt? What do you mean, why bother with the Bible? Well, I, I think it's a fair question. Like, why bother with the Bible? All right. So I've taken some notes today kind of just to uh, allow for a little bit of a cheat sheet here. But I was thinking about this, right? Because in my world, I spend a lot of time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. I do it both for vocational reasons. I do it for personal reasons. I spend some time in the Bible because I have questions or quagmires. Other times I spend time in the Bible because I'm looking for encouragement or reminder. Uh, Oftentimes when Ellen is on shift because she's a night shift charge nurse at Evergreen Hospital, um, I'll just uh, turn on the scriptures being read out loud. So I'll go to the Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or recently I did the book of Numbers, which listen to that audio note, right? Like it's, it's pretty interesting uh, to listen to lots of numbers and lots of tribes. And I'm always impressed by the people that record the audio stuff for the Bible, how they can consistently get all of the names right. Or at least I assume they're right. Maybe they're like winging it too, but who's going to call them out? Like half of these things we don't know how to pronounce. It's kind of funny to me. So uh, anyway, so I listen a lot to the Bible, but in the scope of that, I'm also very open and honest with all of you. And when I think about this, I go, here's some of the challenges with reading the Bible or listening to it. Um, The Bible is ancient, right? There's a lot of things we come across in there and we're like, what do I do with that? What is that getting at? How is those images or icons or thoughts or cultural norms, anything that I can relate to? And it's hard because that's a world at least 2,000 years removed at the soonest, three, four, five even, depending on how you're kind of pushing all the history looking back to Abraham and all the things in Genesis, like it just goes way, way back. So it's kind of ancient and hard to wrestle with some of those things. The other reality is that it's super diverse, right? When you read from beginning to end of the Bible, you see that there are norms at the beginning that are completely upended by the end. And so you're like, how is this book all interlock and play together? So it's very diverse. It's also foreign, right? This book was not written for Americans by Americans, right? It, it, it's it's written by cultures we know very little about and personally as individuals know even less about because it's a foreign thing. It's also complex. Like honestly, like this notion that anybody can just sit down and read the Bible super easy, there are parts that are super easy. Proverbs is pretty easy. Psalms is pretty easy. Ecclesiastes gets really weird. And you sometimes wonder, is this guy supposed to be in the Bible? Because it's complex, right? You you look at some of the stuff in the Old Testament law, it's complex. You look at some of the prophets, you'll read chapters worth of Jeremiah and you will not know where you're going, where it's leading and why you're doing that in the moment. So it's complex sometimes, as well as like the book of Revelation. That is just 
so complicated for people at times that everybody's like got a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand and kind of like a cheat sheet over here and a compass. And, you know, you're like, how do I do all of this? And what is it all getting at? Because it's complex. And also, if we're really honest, there are parts, you ready? I'm going to say it out loud, that are dull. They're dull, right? Like I was joking about numbers. I'm getting ready to preach numbers here in January. Um, and, and I'm sure people are just so like chomping at the bit. Oh, we can't wait for numbers because it's such an action-packed book. Well, it is eventually. But for the first number of chapters, it's just a bunch of numbers. And there's other times you read it and you just start to like nod off. You're like, I don't know what this is. You know, it just kind of happens. And so for all of that, it's like, well, why bother with the Bible then? If it's all these things, if it's ancient and foreign and complex and dull at times and, and really confusing even, like why put the energy in? Well, I think there are other elements that are also true to the Bible. Sometimes it's that the Bible hits exactly home with where you are at. You've got a life circumstance, you've got a problem or a complexity, and you enter into the Bible or somebody shares a passage with you and it just, it hits home, right? And it just nails you right where you live. That's one thing. Now there's a gives insight, right? And, and the Bible even says that it gives insight for living. It, it gives wisdom so that we might grow to be even more wise. And so there are just things where you're like, that's a really good nugget that I don't remember. And so uh, while you might sometimes weed through some complex and diverse and confusing and dull things, you then hit something and it's like a lightning bolt. And that's exactly what you needed. It also grants direction for life, right? And and not just direction for the American dream life, but rather direction for true life, kind of what I was talking about at the beginning, the life that Jesus intends for us. And so it can lay out a certain level of like waypoints and examples and encouragements and challenges by which we are to live. And ultimately, if you kind of take the Bible from the 30,000 foot level, it reveals what matters most. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us about a great many things. It does not explain how to do a heart surgery. It doesn't understand or explain to us quantum mechanics. It doesn't get into, you know, like just, I don't know, how to make homemade ice cream. Like it doesn't get into all of these things. But the things that matter most, it touches and taps into. And so while there is challenge in the Bible, uh, there is also blessing in the Bible, that's for sure. And so with that, we want to understand this enigma and and kind of approach it from the perspective that I think God intends for us. See, here's what I don't think God intends for us. I don't think God intends for us to solve the Bible. I don't think God intends for us to fully uh, understand and grasp the Bible. I, I think fundamentally what God has done over thousands of years through multiple people is given us this journey of people with him and he with people. And in that journey, there is humanness and sin and love and hate and war and peace. And, 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 and it's like life itself, like life is messy. And the Bible to me is messy. And in fact, that's even sometimes why I can be a little bit critical of some who come along and try to clean up the Bible and say, oh, see how it all interlocks and it's all really clean. And we can kind of tear it apart as this bundled ball of yarn and we can lay it out in this well systematized thing. And I'm like, God didn't give us a systematized, easy to understand thing. I think he gave us a really ball of yarn complex thing. And that's the better way to approach it because that has a lot of reliance and dependence on him to guide us in the process of this. That isn't to say that we shouldn't try to use interpretive methods and we have teachers in our world that can help us understand these things better. I'm a fan of that. But it's also realizing that God gave us this very organic 
work. And we should honor it in the way that he gave it to us with all that challenge, complexity, confusion at times, and beauty, and joy, and hope, and revelation. It's all kind of jammed together in that one space. I think the other thing that we want to remember in light of this is that when we approach the Bible, uh, we are approaching something that is both helpful and dangerous all at the same time. And maybe that sounds a little bit strange to some of you as well. You're like, what do you mean it's dangerous? Well, here's how I'd liken it. The Bible can be a little bit like the internet or the Bible could be like a gun. All right. So you can use the internet for really awesome things. You can go on there and you can learn about our world. You can find information and facts. You can find things about Christ, Christianity, Scripture, Holy Spirit. You can find things about how to raise kids in a healthy way, have a great marriage. Sky's the limit. But we also know the internet can be a source of pain, heartache, you know, uh, sins, lust, desires fulfilled in unhealthy ways. And there is plenty of bad out there on the internet as well, right? So you can get good or bad from the internet or a gun. You can use a gun in a way that is productive and safe and fun, be a sport shooter at the range, and that's great. But guns obviously take a lot of lives every year around the world, and that's the ugly side of guns. And so both with the internet and with guns, you can have blessing and you can have cursing. And I want to remind us as we approach the Bible that the same thing can happen there. In other words, the Bible can be a rich source of blessing in the lives of people, but if mishandled, misused, or misapplied, it can bring devastation, destruction, harm. Honestly, I mean, most cults that are born out of the Bible are born out of saying, we're going to take the Bible seriously, and then they go down a road that's more destructive than healthy, right? So the Bible can be used in terrible ways. We go back to the New Testament and the gospel writers, and we see that the religious leaders, you know, in particular, the more conservative version that took all of the scriptures more to heart, where like more of the liberal versions of Judaism only took the books of Moses to heart. They didn't think the rest was scripture, but like the Pharisees and the more, you know, kind of conservative sectarian groups, uh, they took the Bible very, very seriously and they were very destructive in the process. Jesus highlights them as being people who know the scriptures well, study the scriptures often, and don't see the real truth that is revealed there. Instead, they use scripture as a weapon more than they use it as a blessing. They use it as a sword more than they use it as a scalpel. They lop things off more than they cut open, heal, sew up, and see somebody become better and stronger for it. And so as we approach the Bible, there is to be a mindset, a disposition that we approach with realizing that it can bring life. And tragically, we have seen many times in history where it brings death. And I know that's the part that's a little strange because we're like, no, it's the good book, right? But the good book used in a bad hand can be really devastating. And so with that, I believe we need to come with certain perspectives. And I think some perspectives we come with can be healthier than others. And some agendas that we come to scripture with can be more helpful than others. And if we don't come with a proper agenda, it may lead to really improper fruit. Because that's going to be the reality that we can be in the scriptures and our fruit be bad fruit. It'd be rotten fruit from the scriptures, if our mentality and mindset isn't coming in from the right perspective. And so I wrote down some things where I'm like, it's this versus that. And I, and I want to be kind of 
I want to be as clear as I can here. There's a little bit of a caution when you kind of do like this, uh, you know, juxtapose comparisons of A versus B as though there is zero use of B and it's all just A. That's not quite what I'm trying to get at here. Maybe what I'm talking about in, in some of these things, you know, some it's very clear. There is a difference between A and B. You should let them be dramatically different. Others, it may be that you need to let A kind of guide B a little bit more as opposed to let B guide A, right? So you have to have a certain level of the kind of personal discernment and everything else. But as I've worked through uh, uh, kind of being a teacher of the Bible for now 30 plus years, um, having fallen victim to some of the more... um, destructive ways of using the Bible. I have used the Bible in destructive ways. I have harmed people in my teaching of the Bible because my attitude wasn't right or what my goal was, was an unhealthy goal. Um, And so I don't come, you know, wagging the finger and trying to bring a bunch of shame. Rather, this is kind of like 30 years of journey. Um, Things that I think are, are better for us versus uh, more hurtful for us and those around us as we approach the Bible. And, and so these are just some anecdotal kind of, here's what I've learned, here's what I think. And I believe that the Bible even kind of reinforces these ideas. And so I wanted to share with you, I have, I think, five ideas here about how we come to the Bible and kind of why each of these matters. So the first in the list is that when we come to the Bible, what our our goal is to be among a series of goals we're going to talk about here. The first is this. We want to be a people who come and what we walk away with is wisdom more than precision. Wisdom versus precision. Now, this is one of those where I'm not saying, okay, so we don't need to be precise at all. It's only wisdom, right? This is where I kind of go like, you know, A should lead to B in a different kind of way versus B drives A. But Here's what I'm getting at here uh, as far as this is a goal-oriented thing, what our goal should be. When we approach the Bible and we read it or study it or we're in a group of people working through it, what we should really desire as our ultimate walkaway is wisdom. I, I think sometimes in Western Christianity, especially in the post-Enlightenment era, in the modernity of how we started to work through all of the facts of the universe, so in science, and so whether it be geology, chemistry, biology, you know, the list goes on and on, physics, math, whatever, there was this sense of concreteness. We need concreteness for everything, and that same idea got applied to the Bible, where it's like, we need precision. We need to know the one singular answer to everything in the Bible, the one singular interpretation to every passage in the Bible, and therefore this idea of precision became the ultimate goal. And precision led down all sorts of roads, some helpful, some hurtful, and it kind of maybe lost at times the idea that what we should really want to walk away with more than precision is wisdom, right? And and here's why I say this. Um, We read in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then we find out as we read through the chapter that that Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Therefore, Jesus is the Word. He is the fullest revelation of God. And so in, in that sense, everything then flows out of that concept. Jesus is the Word, and so the Bible we read is a reflection of who Jesus is as the Word. But what I want to bolt this to is going back to the Old Testament and thinking about Proverbs chapter 8. There, we see this whole discussion on wisdom. 
And it talks about how wisdom was with God before the foundations of the world. Wisdom is what fashioned and formed the world. And the whole then essence of Proverbs is all about wisdom because wisdom is the goal of healthy living. And if you want to live a truly healthy life, then you want to be wise. Now, what I love about the link between John 1 and Proverbs chapter 8 is that if the word was with God in the beginning and wisdom was with God in the beginning, well, then Jesus' word and wisdom are kind of like a a little uh, triad there. Not a trinity, a triad, right? So Jesus' word, wisdom, they're all in concert. They're all in tandem. And so the goal of the word is the goal of wisdom because word and wisdom was with God in the beginning, which is Jesus. And so if we want to be more like Jesus, then we want to grow in wisdom. And here's the great thing about wisdom over precision. Um, Wisdom has nuance. Wisdom takes in the full account of whatever our environment is. So if we're being everyday missionaries, we're out in the real world, the reason you want wisdom over precision is because sometimes what precision does is it says, oh, there's the verse for the problem. I will apply the verse to the problem and I don't have to pray about it, think about it, or figure out if there's a better way to do it. It's just like, I'll fit, you know, number one into slot number two and then we're finished. And it's just all about precision. And part of the problem there is that it assumes that we are precise on everything when it comes to every verse we understand and how we might use that verse in all the scenarios of life. But here's the thing I've learned about the Bible. What I've learned not is whether it's precise, but rather I've learned that we are flawed and fallible in understanding just how precise a thing may be. In other words, while the word of God is perfect, we are not. And in light of that fact, we always want to make sure that we understand that, hey, as best as we can discern, as best as we can ascertain from a passage or a section or whatever, this is what we think it means. But we always want to be humble in that process because of the fact that for 2,000 years, Christians have wrestled and re-wrestled and re-wrestled. And everybody has this sense of like, oh, it, we're, we're the ones that are still growing and learning in this process. And we may not know fully everything about everything, but that's okay, provided that the goal is not the precision of everything, but the wisdom that flows from these things. And so this is where, again, I think the goal that we should have is, God, I want to grow in wisdom. And James even talks about that. Anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That automatically implies a process, a never-ending process in life, right? Because we're constantly not wise, in all sorts of ways. And so, again, it just puts us back in saying, as I wrestle with scripture, as I read passages, as I want to discern what's right for life, ultimately my heart in this is to be wise, not simply to be precise. Because I have met, seen, and I have been the person that thought I had the precise answer on everything. I had the right verse for every problem. And in the midst of that, did a lot of damage, hurt a lot of people, and was hurt even myself at times by people who were doing the same thing who were exercising this sense of precision more than a sense of wisdom. Because wisdom also has a disposition attached to it. See, sometimes precision has an attitude of, you're wrong, I'm right. Where wisdom within the nuance is like, even if I'm right and you're wrong, I'm trying to help you see a better way, not by bludgeoning you with a gotcha passage, but rather trying to woo you and uh, maybe inspire you to something different because I'm trying to apply wisdom and how I approach these things. And so wisdom over precision is the first thing that's really important. What's directly attached to this is the second thing, which is how we should come to scripture and what scripture should develop in us. You ready? Humility over pride. 
Now, that one seems really obvious to us, right? Like, well, of course, every Christian should be humble. But what I have found, especially in the ranks of which I come out of some of these ranks, where I find that there's a sense of we have the right answer for everything. We have the most precise take on scripture, theology, everything else. What tends to associate itself with that is more pride than humility. In fact, I was thinking about that in my my early Christian ministry an early pastoral life, because I was so certain of all of these biblical truths, what associated itself with that was just definitely, hey man, we're more biblical than everybody else. We're more faithful to scripture than everybody else. We're smarter than everybody else. And in that, there was just an arrogance, right? And a looking down on others. And so what was so tragic is thinking we were really right. We were really wrong right? I've said this before. You can be straight as an arrow and twice as deadly. There was a lot of that. And so when we approach scripture, what we should come with and what we should walk away with is humility. That doesn't mean that we're not to have understanding. It doesn't mean that we aren't to grow in knowledge, but the fruit of that should always be like, wow, now that I see the truth as clearly as I do, I am more humbled by grace. I'm more humbled by God. I'm more aware of my own, you know, sin and problems and my propensity to be blind, to be arrogant, to be judgmental, and all the more than humility should be the thing that takes root in us, right? And, and so that's why I think it's even important as we are uh, people who are always like looking for or listening to Christian teachers or Bible teachers. I think one of the ways that you know that the real fruit of Scripture is playing out in the life even of that teacher is do they sound and communicate in a humble way or do they sound and communicate in a way that sounds proud? I don't often name names on the podcast, but the difference to me is the difference between a Tim Keller and a John MacArthur. Like I listen to Tim Keller and there's always humility there. Even if he's saying something a little bit pointed or barbed or confronting, there is humility there, right? Where like John MacArthur, I think is a great expositor, has been faithful to teaching the Bible for a long, long period of time, but I often don't hear humility in there. I hear more condemnation. I hear pride. I hear judgment, you know, for all of my pastoral life. And I was a big John MacArthur fan in my early years. Um, it was constantly, here's how every Christian group is wrong, kind of except for those who go to Master Seminary, those who are tethered to kind of the, the network that is connected to John MacArthur, they're the most right ones and everybody else is really, really wrong. And, and I look at that and I go, it, it never sounded humble. There was always this sense of looking down on, you know, the majority of global Christians and historic Christians kind of looking down like, hey, we finally solved what they didn't solve. We're closer than anybody else to our rightness. And that seems wrong to me because what should really spring out even in our accuracy is humility. In fact, the more accurate you are, really, the more humble you should be. All of us should be. So when we come to scripture, that should be the heart. Humility versus pride. Here's the third one. And this one's going to throw you off a little bit. So so cope with me for a second here, because this is, again, one of those where it's like A kind of leads to B or A can govern B. It's not that A overrides B, right? So like on the first one, there was nuance. The second one, it was very clear. We should be humble, not be proud, clear. Third one is, again, kind of a nuanced one. But here, are you ready? When we go to the scriptures and what we should do in the scriptures and what we emerge with from the scriptures is we should emerge with and, and, and be engaged in questions more than answers. That one's weird, I know. Because you're like, Matt, I go to the Bible for answers for life, answers for theology, answers for the questions that I'm facing. Correct, you do, I do, we all do, we all should. 
But what we also want to do with this is always remember that we really want to come more with the questions. And we always want to have the questions. Because I find even there, these are all kind of tethered. So the more I think I just have the answers and I stop asking questions, well, that's where I can get more proud than I can be humble. And it's where I stop growing in wisdom and instead I just default to precision. So this is where there's this interplay between all of these. And I find in my life, like when I'm in spaces where I'm like, I'm just studying to find answers. And once I get the answers, I can retire the questions. I kind of stop growing. I stop being sanctified. And the pride in that is thinking that I've arrived by having my answers all settled. Where again, I think about that James, anybody who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That's a question. And all throughout life, we should have questions of God, questions of scripture, questions of how a scripture that we've been acquainted with for a long time may have a new application or a new life transformation in my life that I haven't thought about. Or maybe even this, the more we're asking questions, the more we realize that some of our old answers were the wrong answers and we have better answers today. And even the better answers today might even have better answers tomorrow because sanctification is all about a process. It's all about the blinders coming off and being able to see clearly. And throughout life, I've found many times that I thought blinders fell and I saw clearly only to realize that no, there was more blinders to fall so I could see even more clearly. This is why questions, humble, thoughtful questions, always asking God, what do you want to teach me? How do you want to use me? What am I meant to learn? How can I grow? How can I adapt? What are blind spots that I have not seen? What are ways that I'm proud and I think I'm humble? What are ways that I think I'm very understanding, but I'm actually judgmental? Come with questions of the text all the time, asking God to illuminate, reveal, confront, convict, inspire, produce joy, hope, whatever it is in the context of us reading through the Bible. So this is where we're to always be explorers as we enter and explorers who know that they know less than half of everything. And that's perpetually true. Like I said, I've studied the Bible for a long time. For those watching, you look behind me, I've got a couple of books, you know, like I love to research and I can tell you after 30 years, I was just sharing this in a message with somebody the other day, like an email, I really do know less than when I started. I have far more questions today than I have answers. To, To be perfectly blunt, at least in my world, I'm more confused today than I was 25 years ago. And I actually think that's really good. I don't think that's bad. You go, oh, well, confusion's bad. God doesn't want confusion. He wants clarity. Well, I think what actually God wants is dependency and humility. And I think God wants consistency. But I'm not sure if there's always going to be clarity because Paul himself said, guess what? There's not clarity, right? Remember he says this in 1 Corinthians? He says, we all see dimly, right? But it's only in the perfection of the resurrection and everything else that we will see clearly. Right now, everything's foggy. Like this notion that we can clear away the fog and make everything clear is just contrary to what the Bible tells us even. We're always going to see dimly, right? That's going to be true. We see Christ as clearly as we can in this world, but there's many things that we're not going to see clearly. I don't see things clearly. The more I hopefully grow closer to Christ, the less I think I tend to see everything clearly. And I think that just, again, makes me more dependent and wholly from that a little bit more humble and a little bit more understanding and more appreciative, honestly, uh, of others in the faith that don't hold my same faith tradition, right? So I'm an evangelical Protestant, but boy, the more I realize I don't know, the more I appreciate 
Catholic brothers and sisters. I appreciate my Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. You know, I, I, there's just so many other ways that Christianity is understood as we all wrestle with the text and the power of the Spirit for the purposes of Christ, for the gospel of God. Like all of that kind of swirls about. And I think that's better space to be in. It's not comfortable space, but I certainly think it's better space. And so we come with questions more than simply just trying to gather up all the answers and be done. Because I don't think we ever gather up all the answers, or if we do, those answers are always going to be perpetually incomplete because there's so much more that Jesus wants to do with us in the word cycling and recycling through us. Fourth, the goal. Ready? The goal of scripture, God versus knowledge. God versus knowledge. Now, I think, again, you grow in knowledge to grow in God. There's truth to that. But sometimes I think there can be this approach that says, hey, I'm studying the Bible so I can know a bunch of stuff. But the goal of scripture is not to end at the scripture. The goal of the scripture is to see the God who is underneath, beneath, driving, revealing, and, and, and really just inspiring the scriptures through all the writers that put it together. And so why I think that we always have to remember when we approach the Bible that we're really trying to get to the heart of God, not just to the heart of information, is because that's what I see as what happens in a bad way in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis 2 is good. Husband and wife are there together with God. They're all cohesive and connected and everything else. And, And the goal of creation is to reflect and rejoice in the creator. But in chapter 3, what does the woman and the man decide to default to? They decide to default to, we want knowledge over God. Remember, the, the tree that they're not supposed to eat from is a tree of knowledge. But they go, well, we have God, but God says he's holding out on us knowledge for whatever reason. And so if the decision's between God and knowledge, we want knowledge. We'll take knowledge over God. And from that, they end up having knowledge. I don't know if we've ever thought about that, but they eat and then they have knowledge. So this idea that they ate and they got duped and they didn't get knowledge, no. They ate, they had knowledge, and that was their duping, right? So, hey, you got what you wanted. Now that you caught the car, dog, what are you going to do with the car that you caught? You chased it, you bit the bumper, now you got it. What are you going to do with it? Well, they have knowledge and it opens their eyes and it's all miserable. So their knowledge creates misery uh, and they lose their connection to God in the process. Well, I think the same thing can happen if we're approaching the Bible for knowledge versus we're approaching the Bible to know God. There's a difference. And so our motives and going in and our desires coming out is, did I get another glimpse of God that more refines my life, more uh, kind of motivates my faith and helps me to be the person that he wants me to be, right? And generates these things we've been talking about, like more questions, more humility, more the sense of wisdom, like all of that stuff becomes cohesive, comes together and fulfills itself in our lives because God is the goal. God is the objective of the scriptures. Jesus, Holy Spirit, all three are God. They're the objective of why we study. And I've 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 known people and I actually think this is more widespread even today than it gets enough notice of, but in our evangelical community uniquely, I think one of the greatest idolatries that is happening is that we worship the Bible and not the God of the Bible, right? Or we we think that that Jesus and the Bible are like one and the same, and they're absolutely not. They're absolutely not the same, right? And I want to be clear about that. I know some people will disagree with that or maybe have a problem with that, but I'm just saying the Bible is not Jesus, 
right? Even when Jesus said, I'm going to leave you a helper who's going to teach you and guide you into all things, he didn't say, and it's a book of 66 different pieces of literature that are going to give all the accounts and guidance of life. He says, no, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. I'm not minimizing the scriptures. I'm just trying to prioritize what the scriptures prioritize. So if we are not in union with and connecting with God in the scriptures, then we're just falling into this cul-de-sac of the scripture itself. And that's not what it's designed to do. It was never meant to be an idol, a replacement for God. Uh, We were never supposed to elevate the scriptures above our intimacy and relationship to Jesus. And so we always want to keep this in perspective. Because when the Bible becomes the idol, I think it leads to those other things. Then it's about precision. And then there, there's pride, right? That kind of follows out. There's all these answers, but there's no humility and questions and a sense of like, I know less than half of everything, but it's more like, no, we know everything we need to know. And we're going to tell everybody else what they need to know because we're smarter than everybody else. None of that is healthy. And it makes for a pretty sickly missionary too, right? And so if this is the everyday missionary, we want to keep that in perspective. And so again, the fourth thing is the goal is God, not simply knowledge. And then finally, in, in the midst of all of that, kind of what I'd say is, is the pinnacle of these ideas is that our objective is Christ-likeness, not more religion. There's plenty of religion out there. There's plenty of religion. There's religion in our religion. Uh, and, and in that, uh, I think what gets bred there is all the negative things we talked about. In religion, there is pride. In religion, it's all answers, but there's no questions. You know, in religion, there's a sense of precision, but there's not a sense of wisdom. Uh, there is aggressiveness, abusiveness, uh, coldness. It becomes rule-based versus genuine righteousness-based. And there is a giant gulf between true righteousness and just rules. There is. Because Jesus highlights that. He's like, man, you guys follow the rules all the way down to making sure you give a tenth of the leaf of a, of a, of a herb, but you forget the weightier matters, right? And so the weightier matters are true righteousness. And by the way, the word righteousness and justice or justness are synonyms in the Old Testament, and we should port that into the New Testament. So what is true justness? Well, that's mercy, that's love, that's compassion, that's true fairness, and fairness meaning I don't even put myself above your interests, but rather our interests are on level together. And if anything, I'm going to honor Philippians 2. I'm going to make your interests more important than my interests. That is true righteousness, which is very different than rules. In fact, too often what happens with rules is we go, is this all fair for both me and you? And what I mean by that is it'll be fair for you as long as I know it's fair for me too. But that's not what real biblical righteousness is. Real biblical righteousness is I want to make sure it's fair for you first even if it means I then am second, right? That's the difference. And I think that's Christ-likeness versus religion. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, everything was about I'm putting humanity before myself, right? That, that's what you see. He, he constantly is putting humanity before himself all the way to the cross. What do you think the cross is? It's Jesus saying, I'm putting humanity before myself. And as humanity is cheering and killing and plotting, he says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing, right? That's him saying you before me. And that's why, as I love to say on the podcast, Peter comes along and says, hey, Jesus reminded us of how we're to live like he did, putting others before ourselves, even if it means our suffering. And so in light of this, when we read the scriptures, the goal of the scripture is to say, how can I be more like Christ? 
How can I give myself away? How can I relinquish this love affair I may have with fairness and rights and being offended by things and being bothered by a certain category of people in my culture that's not like me and seeing all the dumb, foolish, silly, whatever and wanting to judge it instead saying, all right, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And instead, help me be like you, Jesus. Help me to be Christ-like in everything and not religious because that lesson gets learned easily in the Gospels. And so, why bother with the Bible? Because we want to grow in wisdom, humility, with our questions. We want to grow closer to God, and we want to be more Christ-like. And I believe the more we approach the Scriptures like that, with that motive, that heart, that kind of openness— Well, the more that's going to transform our inner person, the more it's going to set us up for success in being ambassadors for Jesus. And that is the best way for us to be everyday missionaries.